For the people who saw Jesus and listened to him preach, one of the most intriguing things must have been listening to him talk about the Old Testament prophets and their messages. Long before Jesus was born, God sent various prophets with specific messages to tell people to be ready. Prophets like Isaiah gave harsh words of judgment, but then followed them up with words of comfort. Prophets like Jeremiah would lament at the state of sinfulness that the nation of Israel had fallen to. Each, each prophet in his own way foreshadowed the coming of Jesus himself. And so if you were sitting there listening to Jesus, it must have been remarkable hearing him speak the words of Isaiah and then closing the scroll and saying, these words are about me. What we're doing today is getting into the prophet of Jonah. And here's the interesting thing about Jonah. He didn't have much to say. In fact, his entire prophecy can be recorded for us in seven words. And we're not even going to get to those words until week three of the series. And yet, Jesus made special reference to Jonah. Not because of what Jonah said, but because of what Jonah did and what God did through him. And if you're not even interested in the story of a man who was swallowed by a big fish, which all of us should be, just listening to what Jesus said about him should make us know that this is worth our attention and worth our study. One day some people were talking to Jesus and they said, you claim to be God, prove it. We want some sort of sign, some sort of miracle. We want to know for sure that you are who you say you are. And here's how Jesus responded. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. In other words, you've already gotten your sign. Then he goes on to explain, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. So also the son of man, I, will be in the belly of the earth. Three days. And three nights. So Jesus, as he referenced Jonah, didn't say that he had some great words or great inspiration. Or Jonah wasn't a comforting prophet. He wasn't. He wasn't a sorrowful prophet. He wasn't an instigating prophet. And yet Jesus made special reference to him. So what kind of a prophet was Jonah? Well, today we're going to have an introduction to who Jonah was and why he was such an important person that Jesus would point back to him. And what we're going to see, first of all, is that Jonah was a runaway prophet, hardly the kind of person that Jesus would want to associate himself with. Jonah was a runaway. And I'm not going to get too much into the details. I'm going to let Jonah chapter 1 speak for itself. But just as a means to illustrate for you, what a runaway does and why this is significant, I'm going to share with you something that happened to me a few weeks ago. I can't remember where I was driving or where I was going, but I got to the parking lot and I got out of my car and I used Kleenex, fell out of my car and fell onto the ground. Now, best I can tell, this is one of the 200 Kleenexes, used Kleenexes that my kids have left in my car 
and in spring we will clean them all out, but for now they're just frozen, stuck in my car. But one of them fell out, and you know some of those days, uh, has it happened to you where something falls out of your car and you, you think, do I pick it up or do I just pretend I didn't see that? You know, some, some of you might have, might have thought that. This was a, a righteous day for me, so I didn't even think, should I pick it up? I just instinctively reached down to pick up this used dirty Kleenex, and the wind blew, and just as I was about to pick it up, the Kleenex blew about five steps away. So, all right, I committed, I took five steps, reached down, and whoop, wind picked up again, blew it another, another five steps, and... What happened next is what I will call the three-step trash stomp, where you, you like take three steps, you try to stomp it, and you, you know, you're trying to make, make it stop running away. And, and I remember there was a point at which I asked myself this question, at what point do I stop looking like a fool <laughs> and just let this probably biodegradable piece of trash just find its home wherever it wants to be? Now, we have, we have to apply that to a lot of different areas of life. How long do you keep trying at something until you just let it go? How long do you keep trying at a career path until you're just like, this isn't for me? How long do you keep trying at a certain investment until you just take your losses and go? How long do you keep investing in a relationship when the other person just doesn't reciprocate? And sometimes we might even ask the same question from God's perspective. At what point does he just let you go wherever you want to go? Because he keeps forgiving you. He keeps restoring you. But it's like every time you're close to where he wants you, you just keep getting blown away by your own desires and your own dreams. And the distance between you just grows and grows and grows. At what point does God just call off the chase? The book of Jonah gives us a unique perspective on this because we have a righteous person that we're talking about. This is a prophet from God. And we can actually see in 2 Kings, this isn't the only time Jonah is serving as a prophet. He has been doing this before. Jonah is a servant of God, but he's also a runaway prophet. And his story illustrates for us at what point does God Give up the chase. And what does God do with runaways like Jonah, like me, and like you? So one thing I love about Jonah is it is self-contained. Everything you need to know to understand the account is there in the account itself. Maybe one thing I want to front load this with is that Jesus referred to Jonah as an historical account of things that really happened. And so that's my stance. That's our stance as a church. Maybe your stance is different. You're not sure if this was a real story or just an allegory to draw up some conclusions. But I think it's important to, to value Jesus' perspective on this story. Just as this happened to Jonah, so Jesus would be in the tomb for three days. So here's the account of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, where we see Jonah introduced. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. What we know about Jonah is that he's given at least one prophecy already 
that has come true. And it was a crazy one. No one probably believed it. But Jonah's first prophecy that we know of in 2 Kings is that he prophesied that Israel would actually expand its borders north into Syria. And the reason this was so unlikely is because Israel by this time was a broken nation. This was around the 700s BC. The Assyrians were the world power. And the Assyrians were mostly located in and around the city of Nineveh. Yet Jonah prophesied through the Lord, Israel would see this momentary glimpse. Their borders would expand to the point where it was almost like the days of of King David and Solomon. So there's this momentary peace where the Israelites could expand. But now God is telling Jonah, I want you to go and prophesy to the people in the city of Nineveh. Why do I want you to prophesy? Because they have been so evil and so wicked. I need to send a prophet outside of Israel to this enemy, this foreign nation. You see, the only reason Israel could expand its borders is because Nineveh had been muted for a while. They had internal struggles and all sorts of bad things that happened within a short period of time. The Assyrians, those in Nineveh, they had been going through a couple of plagues. There was this great earthquake. And an ominous sign for them was that there was a total eclipse of the sun. And they put all these things together and they said, things aren't good. Their superstitions just went off the wall. And they went into turmoil for quite a while. There was internal struggling within the Assyrian Empire. And where the Israelites saw an opportunity to expand, God saw a different opportunity. These Ninevites were in a position to listen. And if a prophet from Israel comes to them, they will never be in a better position to listen. But here's what you should know about Nineveh. And here's where I wrestle as a preacher, speaking in front of people and online with a lot of mixed ages. All all I'll say is this. The city of Nineveh had a nickname. So, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It's kind of got a nice ring to it. Here's what uh, Nineveh's nickname was. City of blood. And I'm not going to get into all the gory details, but I can tell you that when the Assyrians would take over a city by military conquest... They would show no mercy, no matter the age, no matter the gender of the person. They would slaughter people, blood would run everywhere, the the walls would be decorated with human remains, and it was horrid. They had a reputation of being this nasty nation. So God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go and preach against it. And you and I might think, Good, tell them how wicked they are. But what we know from the book of Jonah is that Jonah didn't want to do that. He wasn't afraid of Nineveh. What he was afraid of is that God might show them mercy. They don't deserve to be warned that God's judgment is coming on them. Let them have what's coming, let justice be served. And so here's what Jonah decided to do. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, 
which you all know where Tarshish is, right? Yeah. So southern, probably southern Spain. So for, for Jonah to go to Nineveh, it was about 500, 550 miles, about 30 days journey if he's walking. Tarshish is in the opposite direction, southern Spain. He went down to Joppa, the port city, where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He invested his time, his money, into fleeing from what God wanted him to do. Now, I just want to take one sidestep and show you the beauty of what we often don't see in English, because we don't write this way and we don't uh, talk this way. But there's some hidden poetry throughout the book of Jonah that I think is beautiful when it comes into perspective. So here's how it's arranged if you look at the order of how this was recorded. Both in the front and the back, you see that there's parallels all the way down to the middle. And the primary point that it's focusing on is that Jonah was bound to get away. Everything was pointed toward his escape. But then there's something else that's important here. It's that both the front and the end focus on the same thing. What was his goal? The reason he was bound for that port was because he wanted not just to flee from God's purpose, but he wanted to flee from the Lord himself. What does it look like for you to flee from the Lord? And I know I might be preaching to the choir, but maybe fleeing from the Lord means you're just trying to ignore him at every cost, and so you, you don't go to church. And maybe for some of you, you can think back to a time in your life where you totally avoided everything that had to do with church. Maybe your excuse was the people did something or it wasn't working for you, but deep down, you were looking to get away from God. Even if you're not a Christian, here's what fleeing from the Lord or being a runaway might look like for you. For, For some of you, it might be running away from a responsibility. I really don't want to do this, or they don't deserve this to happen, or I've been pouring myself for years and years, and they never say thank you, and so you're kind of fleeing from a responsibility that you've had. A runaway might also flee from using a gift that they've been given. It's just too inconvenient, and you'd rather live for yourself rather than using your gift for others, and so maybe you flee from the use of a gift. For followers of Jesus, there are specific examples of what it might look like to be a runaway. Uh, The first thing is what I'll call is maybe a God tension. Some people say, oh, God is speaking to you that you have a calling and you need need to do it. I don't know if God necessarily speaks to you more than you just have this, you know, when the spirit of God is in you, there's some tension that he can draw you towards. Sometimes you'll have this tension that something should be done. You should reach out to someone. It's just compelling you in some way. And you can be a runaway by ignoring that. You can also be a runaway, and again, this is just for Christians, by ignoring who God created you to be. Your your body, your identity is not an accident. He created you with a specific purpose and specific roles in mind. And to neglect that and say, I want to find who I am and determine who I am, that's, that's a way of running away. So there's different ways to run away. I guess the question you have to wrestle with is, what am I running from and what am I running to? uh, Jonah wasn't just running from Nineveh. He was running from the Lord. And the way he did that was to get on a ship 
and head for Tarshish. You can just imagine Jonah, you know, the moment they untie the boat or however they had it anchored, now they're starting to set sail. What is he thinking? What is he feeling? Is there this moment of relief where he says, finally, I'm leaving, I'm leaving God. Finally, there's no turning back. Or is he felt with this deep sense of regret? We're not sure what Jonah was feeling, but we know what God should have done. Just like we know what God should do to us when we're runaways. Keep neglecting our calling, our responsibilities. God should just find someone else. And this is where the book of Jonah could end. Jonah chapters 1 through 3, or, you know, or verses 1 through 3. We're done. Jonah sailed away and God found a new prophet named Amos or whoever it was. And you know, God could have said, all right, plan B. But the account of Jonah would not be over. Even though Jonah neglected to share God's relentless grace with Nineveh, the rest of the story would be about God showing relentless grace to this runaway prophet. And so verse 4 says, God sent a great wind. He hurled this great wind onto the sea. God wasn't finished with him yet. And wherever you are, God is not finished with you yet. Here's what I can tell you about Jonah. Being a runaway did not disqualify him. Being a runaway did not disqualify him. And if you have some runaway in your present or in your past, that does not disqualify you. God is not through with you yet. As long as you have a heartbeat, as long as you take in breath, God's not done with you yet. You are not disqualified from what God's purpose is for you. And for Jonah, God used a storm. I'm not sure what it will look like for you, but let's look at how God used this great wind, which, which stirred up a storm, and how he used this as an opportunity to get Jonah back. So the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And before I go on, just keep in mind, these are veteran sailors who have been sailing this sea. They have a very large, very nice ship. It's not like they're on this little rowboat sailing 1,000 miles away to Tarshish. They know what they're doing, and they know what to expect. All the sailors were afraid. They were afraid. And what we're about to see is that this was no ordinary storm. They recognized this had a divine origin for a divine purpose. They were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the ship, because what good is cargo if you can't sell it because you're dead? They threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And then they noticed something. Next verse, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, if you're meeting with your growth group this week, you can discuss what significance this has. For me, here's what I see. Jonah being able to fall into a deep sleep doesn't just show his geographical separation from God, thinking he can run away from God, but it also shows his emotional internal state of mind. He's so deep in his abandonment of God that he is just shutting down in a lot of different ways. He fell into this deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, hey, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. 
And just pay attention that there's this difference between the way the sailors talk. Talk to your God. Maybe he will have compassion on us. Maybe your God will save us. Maybe your intervening on our behalf will save us. There's this intermediary uh, role that uh, Jonah plays between God and these people as a slight foreshadow of a greater mediator between God and man. And so the sailors, after they get Jonah and they all come together, they, they said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And casting lots was a way of trying to figure out, you know, divine, like, God, who is this? Or, God, what's going on? God, you pick someone. And we don't know if God always worked through casting of lots every single time, but it seems that God wanted to make sure things landed in the right way this time. Who drew the short straw? Who was the, the stone or whatever pointing toward the cast lots? And the lot fell on Jonah. Have you ever felt this where, you know, all of a sudden, all the attention is just on you. Everyone's looking at you. And I wish I could skip this next verse, but it's in the Bible, so we have to read it. But this is just going to bring up all sorts of tension. Here's what the sailors do. They said to him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? bombarded with all these questions. This was an interrogation at sea. Sometimes you'll find this when you're wandering from God or being a runaway from God. It it doesn't just create tension between you and God, but it creates tension with the people around you. And so Jonah could only do one thing. He knew there was no escaping the inescapable God. Now he knew how foolish it was to even try to be a runaway from the presence of the Lord. So he comes clean. He says, I am a Hebrew of the Israelite people. I worship the Lord. And maybe by this point you've, you've noticed that the Lord is in all capitals throughout this section. That's a reference to God's personal saving name. This is Yahweh. I worship the Lord, Yahweh. He is the God of heaven. So your gods, you have your temples and your little idols. That's your God. My God's residence is in heaven. There is no temple. There is no form or shape that he can take here on earth. That is his temple. That's where he is. And he's the one who made the sea and the dry land. So as the sailors are listening to this, they recognize how much trouble they're in. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? See, when Jonah decided that he wanted to run away from God, you can only imagine the turmoil that brought to his own heart, the moments of depression or the moments of despair, moments of regret, What's going to happen? Is God going to catch up to me? Is he going to send another prophet? Like, is he going to send a Samson after me that's going to just wreck me? You know, all these wonderings that Jonah is wrestling with as he's running away from God. But now we see that when you're a runaway, there's collateral damage. For Jonah, he was putting the lives of these sailors at risk the longer 
he was running away. And maybe you can think to a time in your life where things weren't right vertically. Things weren't right between you and God, and it caused tension that overflowed into your relationships. I know all of us have probably seen that from other people. Like you just feel the tension when they walk into the room. Something's not right. Their conscience is bothering them. Things are unsettled. It's a God thing, but it's having an overflow into other relationships. So what we know from Jonah is that running away from God brought ruin into other people's lives. Running away equals ruin. You can't run away from God, but Jonah tried, and the result was that it brought ruin into other people's lives. So be aware of that, that your seasons of running away probably left a trail of debris that other people had to deal with. And so now this is this bigger mess, isn't it? Being a runaway is no small thing to complain about. It's not just that you're hurting yourself. It's not just that you're dishonoring God. But now there's this cloud of debris that's all around you. How many people have you hurt? How many people have you left behind? How many people secretly are looking at you thinking, what have you done? And as the sailors are interrogating Jonah and he's coming clean, here's what's happening. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? You're the problem. What should we do to you so that we can be saved? And so Jonah said this, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you because of me. I know that it is my fault. Can I challenge you to say that sometime this week? I know that it is my fault. Thankfully, you're not on a boat. (laughs) They don't have to throw you over the, the, the edge. But whatever area of life it is, maybe, there's, maybe it's not a huge thing that's blown up. Maybe it's just a little bit of tension. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I know that it is my fault. And so the, the sailors, they're trying to decide, what do, we, what do we do with this? Like his God, the Lord, is the God of the sea, the God of the earth, the God who lives in heaven. We're going to kill one of his prophets So they're deciding, what do we do? What do we do? And then they basically give this plea to God, don't judge us. We're just doing what Jonah is telling us. And it goes on to say that they did what he said. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. And that was the key. The raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They recognized he is true God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, which I don't know what that looks like on a ship that's probably wooden. I'm not sure what the sacrifice entailed or what it looked like, but they offered a sacrifice and they made vows to him. They looked to their past, their present, and their future, and they said, this is having an impact. And here's the cool thing about runaways. Even though it can leave a trail of destruction, small or big, they can accomplish a very godly, divine purpose. These sailors who at one time had prayed to a variety of different gods from different places now came to know the Lord. And it changed their life. And so that's where the first part of the book of Jonah ends. 
Jonah is thrown into the sea. And here's what I can tell you. Even if Jonah were to drown, the storm would have done its work. Jonah came to a place where he recognized the foolishness of his being a runaway. And he acknowledged his fault. He acknowledged his sin. And he knew that there was a God of grace who could still take him back. And even if Jonah had died that day, he would have died a redeemed person. But he didn't. His story would continue because God chases the runaways. But before I tell you verse 17, which we'll pick it up there next week, let's just zoom out into chap- from chapter 1 and look at what we can learn from this and how it applies to our lives. So I've got a few applications for you. Don't feel like you have to write these down. In fact, the first one is kind of tongue-in-cheek. What do we learn from Jonah? Don't be like Jonah. Okay? Don't be the runaway. Just Would you recognize that when you're running away from what God has created you to be or what God has it designed for you to do, you're not just running away from a thing, but you're running away from the Lord. Just recognize the foolishness of what you're trying to do. Don't be like Jonah. So take that for what it's worth. Here's another thing worth noting about Jonah, that what God did for Jonah, he would eventually do for the nation of Israel. Israel was a runaway nation, ignoring God, distancing themselves from him. And so God would send them into exile to restore them. God sent them a different kind of storm that got their attention so that he could bring them back to him. But here's the bigger picture. Ultimately, the book of Jonah, ironically, is not about Jonah. It begins with the word of the Lord. And if you want to cheat and go to the end of the book, it also ends with the word of the Lord. And the main point of the book is not Jonah's performance as a prophet. It's about God's compassion for runaways. So here's what we learn from chapter one. What we see is a prophet who refused to share God's grace became the story of God's relentless grace. A prophet who refused to share God's grace with a nation or a city now is given an opportunity to experience God's relentless grace for runaways. And the big thing we we take from chapter one is this, number four, that God used the storm not to get back at Jonah and say, I'll teach him a lesson, but God used the storm to get Jonah back. And I can tell you that God can still use storms today, just in the same way. I know it's it's common to say bad things are happening, I've been doing the right thing even, and something is just not working right. And the natural conclusion is to say, why is God punishing me? What did I do wrong? We, we tend to view storms in life, negative things, as, as this God is against me. But what we know from Jonah is that God did not use a storm to get even. He used a storm to get Jonah back. So hardships for Jonah were actually proof that God loved him. And he can continue to use hardships in that way today. And even if Jonah had died... He would have died a restored, forgiven prophet. But his story would continue because being a runaway did not disqualify him. Verse 17, we'll pick it up here next week. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
God sent a miracle for him. And finally, this is where we see the story of Jesus intersect with runaways. You see, Jesus was not a runaway from God. Yet Jesus willingly left his home in heaven to pursue people like me and you. Jesus did not neglect his duty to share truth and grace with the people he was sent to. And yet the message was met with resistance and opposition. Jesus did not deserve to have a storm come his way, and yet he was thrown to the cross for me and for you. And the vehicle for our redemption was that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, but then rose again to declare some good news. That God will go to any degree, to any extreme, to chase down the runaway. He would even go to death. So here's my caution for you. It's one thing to talk about how God relentlessly pursues runaways. Don't take that as an excuse to test God's patience and to say, God, where's my storm? God, where's my fish? Don't use this as an excuse to test God's patience. But the word of comfort I want to leave you with is that wherever you have been, however you're listening to this message or however you're tuning in, whether you're on the podcast or here in the room, here's what I know about you. Because you still have breath, you have not outrun God's grace. You have not gone somewhere where God is beyond reach. He still loves. You have not been disqualified. You have not been distanced from him so far that you're beyond his reach. He went all the way to the tomb for you. And he still has a purpose for you. So we're going to pick it up there next week as we see what God did for Jonah for three days in the belly of a fish and how God brought transformation through that experience. For now, let's close with prayer as we ask God's blessing. Dear Father in heaven, for Jonah, you demonstrated some relentless grace. A runaway prophet should have been discarded and replaced with someone new, someone more faithful. Yet your lesson for us through Jonah was not his elaborate message. The message that we see from him was what you do for people like him. Each of us in our own ways wrestle with being a runaway. Some of us in big ways, some of us in small ways. Some of us have left a trail of destruction during a season of our life. And some of us might be on the verge of creating one. But in the story of Jonah, you show us that we, wherever we are, we have not outrun your grace. Your grace is relentless and there is still a time for forgiveness and change. Thank you for Jesus who solidified this truth for us, that there was no place you wouldn't go for us, including death. May that motivate us and inspire us to find you while you may be found, a God of grace for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.